Well, hey, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15. I trust you have a copy of God's Word, whether that be on paper or digital. That uh, you get that open, get ready to be there. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats, I believe it's page 215. Uh, we're going to be diving in there. I'm so grateful for Pastor Cody here a couple Sundays ago, getting us started in what is kind of a four-week mini-series uh, within, of I Am uh, within our uh, whole series of He Is Through the Book of Judges. And uh, last Sunday then, Pastor Nate taking us into chapter 14. Uh, with that, I'm still thinking through hearing ringing in my, eye, my mind, what if Samson had been infatuated with the Lord as much as he had been infatuated with himself? What if Samson had just been infatuated with the Lord as much as he was infatuated with himself? Well, we're uh, continuing uh, working through all this chapter 15. I'm calling today, uh, When I Am the Great I Am. When I am the great I am. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Cody reminded us that our series, this He Is series, and kind of this little I Am series, uh, four weeks around the person of Samson here in these chapters and Judges, uh, as he reminded us, this whole series has a purpose behind it. It has a reason why we're doing this. I mean, by the way, why would you go to the book of Judges and walk through it. Uh, I got to tell you, I still don't know of anyone who on a Sunday who goes through that of people that I know. And uh, we're going through the book of Judges. Why? Why are we in this? Great question. Well, let me kind of uh, piggyback off of what Cody said and accentuate that because I know with summer, so many people are gone through the summer and that's fantastic to have that time away and off with family. But let me remind us why. It actually began back in April of 2015 through January in 2016 when we went through the book of Revelation. If you were here at that time, Jesus Christ revealed, remember the van? Yeah, the cool van, uh, taking the journey together through the book of Revelation, and we were doing that. And I mean, book of Revelation is just crazy, it's mind-blowing, it's theologically stretching, it's God-stretching, faith-building, all of that together. And, and in that series, we finished by kind of driving, at, at the end of the series, driving the book back to chapters 2 and 3 to the seven local churches, because it was those seven local churches that we read in the beginning that, that information is being given to help them now. And so often the book of Revelation is looked at as just a future thing, which, which I agree that it is, but forget to bring it now to how it changes how life is done now and how we live now. And so we brought it back there uh, to those seven local churches because God had a word for them through it and also finished it out with bringing up kind of a three summary statements for it. See Jesus, see the war, see the victory. Uh, see Jesus... Uh, those early chapters there. I mean, Jesus is no longer this hippie sandal Jesus uh, teaching dude out in the sand desert with people all around handing out chicken nuggets. That's not what's going on, okay? Jesus is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ before the throne, the right hand of the Father, fall down, I think I'm going to die, John says. He is that Jesus uh, of today and, and see Jesus and then see the war of what we saw through Revelation. Listen, friends, we live in a spiritual war zone. And as was brought uh, the other Sunday, uh, Samson is viewing this as a playground when this is a war zone. And it's like, I don't want to be in a war zone. I know, listen, if in Christ, victory's coming. Okay, and it will be an eternity with the Lord forever. Blow your mind out of crazy control, cool for eternity. No sin, no tears, none of that anymore. Yeah? Okay, and so, but now we are living in a spiritual war zone reality. And he's saying, we're saying, see that. And, and here's the question that came out of that. If, if we are presently living in a spiritual war zone in this time of redemptive history, how do we live now? If that is the case, then what does living in a spiritual war zone of this day and age before the return of Christ, before we see Christ, what does it look like? What should we be about out of that series, then, we went in January and February of this year to our We Are series. 
And we talked about five things that we want to be, that we want to pursue after, that we want to increasingly grow towards being. And the five things were unashamed adoration, uh, lifting Jesus high, and we want to be a people who are about unapologetic preaching, not just here in this thing, but, but in life and home and teaching and putting the Word of God in its high, sufficient place uh, in ourselves and in our lives and to all those around us. And we're about unafraid witness. And we're also fourth of our four pillars, unceasing prayer. And then we added in there the, the whole reality of wrapping all of that, those four pillars that we have out in the lobby, wrapping all of that in unrestrained love. We are to be a loving people, loving the Lord and loving others. And so in this period of time, those are things that we're pursuing to be increasingly like and about true. We want more of that in us, more of that in, in us in this time. But yet that raises a question, what does it look like if we are not that? What if we say that we are, we understand we live in a spiritual war zone, and we say that we, we are pursuing after these things, what does it look like if we are not those things? It's a helpful tool to realize and to be a spurring on for us to be like, listen, we need to be about what we say we are about, because if we aren't, it looks like the book of Judges. It looks like the book of Judges. What does it look like when God's people are not who they say that they are? And the book of Judges is such a living picture of what that looks like. I mean, here God's people, Abraham, are called out and they're raised up and then they're brought out. That's the book of Exodus. And then they're placed in the promised land, Joshua. And now it's time for them to get established in the promised land. God has this time after being placed in this new place to get themselves established, to get healthy and to get strong and to become a people sent out to the world to be a people that God intended them to be to the maximum capacity that they could be. And yet here they are in this place, and instead of being established as a strong, healthy people that grow and become a sent out people, they become an in people. They become all about themselves, and they become all about what I want, and what I think, and what I desire, and it's just bad to worse. It's bad to worse. So we've been on kind of this downward spiral that's kind of like tiring in the book of Judges. Uh, we don't have that much longer. We're going to finish uh, by the end of next month, but we have a, a little bit more in it to see what we should not be, okay? What should we not be living in this present uh, redemptive war zone of history? Uh, what should we not be looking like? That's where we're at. Well, let me remind us of the 13 judges that we've met so far, uh, the leaders that we've met so far in the book of Judges. And we begin with uh, the first one, Othniel. What a great general and, and cool things happening there. And then we come upon Ehud. Remember Ehud? He was the, the assassin dude uh, with the king, the big king there. And then we had a one-verse guy, Shamgar. We met Shamgar there. He's, he's in a little bit of a smaller, lighter font, just not because he's less important. We just don't have as much information about him with that. And then we came on Deborah. Deborah, what a woman. What a woman. Then we came on Gideon. It's like, Gideon, man, dude, you're up and down. You're all over the place. And then we come upon Abimelech, and things aren't looking so good. And then we come upon uh, kind of a few verse individuals, Tola and Jer. Um, we hit upon them. Then we come upon Jephthah, and things are really not looking very well at all. And then we come upon Ibzan, and then we come on uh, Elon, and then Abdon, and now we are... Uh, right before us with the man called what? Samson. Mm -hmm. Samson, a uh, uniquely raised up, called out man. A man that was uniquely placed in a perfect time and in a perfect place. To where he could have been the guy that got all the spiraling down mess turned around. In fact, look over at chapter 13. The end of chapter 13, uh, verse 24, it says, The woman, who's Samson's mom, bore a son and called his name Samson. 
And the young man grew. Look at this. This is really important. And the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to, I like this, began to stir him. I mean, here is a man who was uh, given so much. Uh, Let's just say this is a man that was preordained, that was blessed and stirred by God, and yet he has become this, as we met last Sunday, he has become this out-of-control brute. In fact, look at chapter 14. The first thing that we learn about him, Samson went down to Timnah, verse 1, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came and told his father and mother, I saw the daughters, one of the daughters of the Philistines in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Uh, Samson was a womanizer. Samson is known, and we will continue to see today and next Sunday, he is a womanizer. Uh, as Pastor Nate said, uh, go get her. I want her, a woman. Chapter 14, verse 14 also. We find not only is he a womanizer, but he is this creepy riddler. Riddle me this, riddle me that. He plays with people. People are not opportunities. Peoples are things to toy with and play with and mess with and just be honestly straight out arrogant before. Because I am smarter, I am better, let me play with you. Riddle me this. It's really sad. And then chapter 15. It's more of a man with a high calling, but he's doing his own thing. And really, I think what Judges is telling us is through these judges, these judges are a picture of the people. And it's kind of rather than telling you about the whole of the people, let me tell you about these judges who represent these people. And what Samson is, is what's going on all through God's people. So let's pick it up here. By the way, before we get going, may I remind us that as Samson struggles to make himself his own great I am, so do you and I. So do you and I. By the way, and I'm talking every day, and I'm talking every decision and every opportunity. Is today going to be about me? Is the situation going to be about me? Is this decision right now going to be first and foremost about me and what makes me happy and what makes me most awesome? I want to enter this soft I want us to enter this soft because we are Samson, okay? So let's enter. Chapter 15, when I am my own great I am, let's start verses 1 through 8. I'm kind of, man, so many things we could have talked about today. Um, I'm I'm kind of taking it on an angle here. When uh, the great I am is wronged, uh, I get even. When the great I am is wronged, Uh, I get even, verses 1 through 3. After some days, by the way, what days? Uh, Hebrew, Hebrew narrative, I believe Pastor Nate had made mention. It gives information that matters. So what was after some days? We don't know how many days, but it doesn't say after years. It doesn't say months. It says after some days. After, after what? Look at verse 19, end of chapter 14. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil, gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger... He went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, and he didn't know about this yet, who had been his best man. Whoop! And after some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, <laughs> I'm breaking this beginning up because the little things matter. Who cares? Who cares what time of the wheat harvest it is? No, no, it's important information. Hold on for just a couple verses, Okay. But we're being told it's at the time of the what? Time of the wheat harvest. A wheat harvest. That's an exciting time, by the way, isn't it? Harvest. I mean, we get that here in Indiana. 
The harvest is an exciting time. I mean, people have put their blood, sweat, and tears for months and months and months, and, and now their crops have grown, and, and, and they're looking forward to, to reaping the harvest, and, and it's an exciting time around, especially when you're in agricultural culture, and that's what's going on. So after some days, at the time of the weed harvest, Samson went to visit his what? Now he's thinking it's, this is his wife. If you weren't here for chapter four, 14, read it. He, he was going to marry this woman, and things went upside down. Riddle me this, riddle me that. And he killed 30 of the men. And uh, behind the scenes, we saw verse 20. Uh, his wife is given to marriage. But Samson went in his mind. He's thinking he's married. And, and he brings a man uh, a gift. Uh, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Okay, <laughs> come on, you got to laugh a little bit in this with it, all right? No, 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 listen, guys give pragmatic, functional gifts. True, men? Or maybe I should really ask the women. Isn't that true? I don't even want to tell you about our first anniversary gift that I gave Karen. It was an Osterizer blender machine, okay? I'm a very bad man. But I learned, I learned, listen, women want... Non-useful gifts most of the time. I don't get that. We want functional things, right, guys? Ah, yeah. Uh, so he brings her a goat. In that day, in that day, a goat was a pragmatic gift. It would have helped her. <laughs> Literally would have helped her because you had one more goat amongst the, the goats and, and all that. <laughs> so he brings a young goat. And he said... Uh, really, this is to his father-in-law. I, I will go into my wife in the chamber. This can mean a variety of things. Most likely, this means that he's kind of uh, in the whole situation. Of, uh, I want to go in and have sex with my wife. I want to consummate the marriage. In fact, at that time, it was not all that uncommon to have situations where one was married somewhere, and they're married to someone, and then the, the, the woman was actually still living with, with the parents. Uh, don't, don't, do, don't do that. Okay, and so he's going, but this whole mess of a situation. The point is, he's still thinking that this woman is his wife. By the way, this woman is a Philistine. She is not an Israelite. Samson, what are you doing? You are a judge to be leading God's people. And this has gone such a mess with marrying a wrong woman, with, with murdering men, uh, but it goes on, but her father would not allow him to go in. Uh, why? Well, we find out why. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her. And out of chapter 14, you would have thought the same thing. He threw a Hulk hissy fit, little baby. And this is what happened. And, and, and yeah, and yet it's so interesting. Here's Samson coming back, and it's so oftentimes with people who struggle with anger. It's like, hey, you know, I blow up, and it's been uh, uh, some days, and everything should be fine now, right? And you know that if you've lived with someone who struggles or are with someone with anger, and, and it's like, uh, excuse me, like you crushed me in this, and we're just like moving on? That's not how this works. That's Samson, though. That's where he's at in his thinking. And the dad says, I utterly thought you hated her, so I gave her to your companion, the best man. Ouch. Listen, uh, you need to understand, we don't get some of this in the day. There's parts of it nowadays women kind of see this and like, this is so brutish of a dad to do this. No. Listen, you got to understand, back in the day, he was protecting his daughter. He was protecting her from the utter embarrassment of what just had happened in this whole thing. And he was giving her to th this other man, the best man, to protect her from utter shame. This was actually a loving move uh, by her father. And so then he says, <laughs> maybe not so loving, is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. Now, so far, if you get to know Samson, Samson's like, bada bing, sounds good to me because he's all seeing things by looks, right? And yet here in the dad on this, listen, listen women, if, if you've had sisters and maybe a sister that is, quote, better looking than you, the last thing you want is dad to, like, say that, right? I mean, come on, man. Anyway, so this is what's going on with it, but I think the text, the narrator, is giving us this information because this is exactly what Samson would want. 
the better looking one. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent with regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. There's an aspect of this where I completely understand why Samson is mad. I mean, he's been kind of blindsided, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, you, you are so messed up. You have no wisdom. And he's supposed to be a judge leader of God's people. It's all about him. I get what I want, and no one stops me. I want her, and I'm going to get back. Verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. It's more likely, the word is used for foxes, jackals. It's more likely that this was probably at that time a jackal rather than a fox. Uh, foxes are more isolated. Jackals kind of are a little bit more out and, and with uh, groups of them. 300 foxes and took torches. He went out and caught 300 of them and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And, and when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain. What time of the year is it? This is like the worst time if you're on the other side team to have your crops burned down because they're ready for harvest. That's why we're told what time it was. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Now, there's all kinds of things with this. People talk about, come on, this is like a fairy tale that he goes and gets 300 of these jackals together and ties them together. Listen, in this, uh, either God's word is true or is not. And then others take the 300 and mystify it into some... Listen, I'm just going to tell you, there's no reason not to think that he got 300 jackals and tied them together. In fact, I've got two right here. Now, think about this, and, and part of this is a bit of a lesson on, on uh, taking your Bible seriously, okay? Because in the whole process of it, it doesn't tell us that there were like 300 jackals that they were there, and they were all lined up tail to tail, just going, come, tie me up and burn me. Okay, we're not saying that. Yet at the same time, good could God have done that? Why not? I mean, God is God, right? With this whole thing. And yet in it, uh, we've seen God do some miraculous things. We go back with Shamgar, the ox goad warrior, killed a, th a thousand Philistines with an ox goad, <laughs> matrix dude. I mean, there's things that God can do that we need to understand God can do. And yet, at the same time, we're not told that all of this happened like within one afternoon. Because the area of the Philistines is actually quite a, quite a long area. And I'm not saying he burned the whole area up. We don't know how much he burned up. But at the same time, this very well could have been that Samson is going around and he is catching these. And maybe God subdued them somehow to where he catches these things. And he ties them two, at a, two together here. And I just happen to have a Velcro rope, which I'm sure is what he had. And so he gets two of these, and he ties their tails together, and they're two. They're not 300 all tied together. Look at the text. There's two of them that are tied tail to tail, and then he lights them on fire and go, right? And so, I need that second service. And so, and so they go. Why tail to tail? Because if you just light one, it's just going to run off into the rocks and the crevices. You tie it tail to tail, and they're going crazy, and they're running all over, and they're <laughs> crazy burning things up. And again, it's not saying that he did it in like 15 minutes. This could have been over days and days. And the devastation that Samson brings is significant. Got the picture? There are some things I can't explain. Like, didn't they bite him? <laughs> Apparently not. Verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? By the way, that's really important. Because they don't know what's happened. I mean, they have this fields getting burned up by these foxes tied together. And they're like, where did these come from? It's not like Samson is standing up on the mountain, banging his chest and yelling it out and revealing himself. He's doing this rogue. 
He's doing this silent. And then they said, some knew about it, Samson, really interesting, I don't have time to go into it, but they see him as married. Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. They, they knew about the whole situation, some of this, with the father-in-law. And uh, he's mad. Look at this. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Friends, you need to understand. Wow, be real careful here. We are understanding more so as a people here in America. But we don't really understand evil where we live. And oftentimes, uh, these are read, and, and, and it's like, you know, why did God's people come into the promised land and, and kick those people out? We, we have wars because of it today, by the way. And yet, in it all, you need to understand that God in His grace and His love, Romans chapter 1, there will be no one who will be able to say that God did not give them the opportunity to be redeemed in the Lord. And yet, here are people... The wickedness and the evilness of the people in Philistia. They will, in a moment, burn their own people to death. And by the way, we're seeing that happen in our world. Do you know about that? Are you paying attention to this? I don't mean that rudely. Just paying attention to the wickedness going on in our world today, and yet the wickedness was going on in that time. Listen, these are the kinds of people, I'm bringing all this, because these are the kinds of people that Samson has been and will be doing everything he can to be their buddies. And they burned her and her father with fire, verse 7, and Samson said to them, if this is what you do, pause, I, I just got to pause. Samson, you need your mama to take you out to the woodshed and spank your big green bottom. Do you see the arrogance and the hypocrisy in this? If this is the, what you do, Samson, you killed 30 of their met people. You have burned their crops. You have been a complete, utter brute and jerk. but he's so spiritual. If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. Whatever. Verse 8, and he struck them hip and thigh. Back in that day, that was kind of like a wrestling term. It's like, I took you down with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. He's hiding like a little animal. When I am wronged, I get even. Uh, by the way, I'm saying, when I get wrong, I have a tendency to want to get even. Oh, and by the way, so do you. True? Because there is something within us that is just like, well, let me put it in this terminology, you don't wrong the great I am. I don't know, but I don't think I'm the great I am. No, we do. We do. Don't wrong me, is what Samson's coming at. And I'm just trying to be totally bare in front of you. We all get that, right? Wrong me, and I'll come get you. Nobody wrongs me. We have a picture later on to show one who was completely wronged. And we'll see how he responded. Here he is, an absolute hypocrite. He utterly disobeyed God, squandered his call in his life. He's playing arrogantly and unlovingly with these people. He's killed 30 of them. He's ruined their livelihoods. And yet he was preordained, blessed, and stirred by God. Sad. Verses 9 through 13, when the great I am is accursed, I give in. And the great I am is accursed, I tend 
to give in, give up. Verse 9, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. Why? Because they're mad. He burnt all their crops. Uh, This is interesting. Verse 10, and the men of Judah, do you see Judah up here? Judah is one of the tribes. We haven't heard much, a whole lot about Judah so far, but uh, in the book, but there's Judah there and and one of the tribes that's there. and, and, And the tribe said, why have you come up against us? Here's the point of it. They don't know what's going on. They're not aware of everything. I mean, sometimes when we read narrative, just again with studying your Bible, sometimes when you read it, you have to keep in mind who is understanding the story and who is understanding what in information. And and, and Judah, the tribe that, one of the tribes that Samson was to be judge over, they don't know everything that Samson's been doing in this, and they don't know about the foxes, jackals tied together in it. And all of a sudden, the Philistines are coming up to war. The men of Judah say, why have you come up to war? And they said, we have come up to bind Satan Satan. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, Samson, uh, to do to him as he did to us. So what happens? So Judah, verse 11, they get three, how many? Thousand men and went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom. Why? Because they're going to get Samson. Does it take 3,000 men? What does that tell you about what they're thinking about this guy hiding in this rock who, by the way, preordained, blessed, and stirred by God to be their deliverer? They're now spending 3,000 men to go get him and to do what with? Uh, Let's look. 3,000 men to the cleft of the rock and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Friends, everything is upside down. Called out, built up, brought out, placed in, established to be a sent out people. And the people that are now placed in, including the tribes there, one of the tribes is now saying, do you not understand? We live under the Philistines. That is not what it's supposed to be at all. Do you see in the text there? Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Excuse me, boys, but you are to come into the place and move them out so that you have a place to get yourself established, to be strong and a healthy people, to be able to have maximum impact beyond your walls, if you want to call it that, into the world. And now they're saying, no, 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 we live under the Philistines. This has gone so bad, that's why I say that Samson is not just an illustration of one person. Samson is the living illustration of all God's people in Judah. They're all sold out. They've all given in. What then is this that you have done to us? In other words, don't disturb our comfort pot. Because life is about my comfort and ease. And it's easier living under the rulership of the Philistines than it is to dot, 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 live under the rule of Yahweh. And so this is comfortable. Don't mess it up for us. Verse 12, and they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me you will not attack me yourselves. I.e., don't kill me and embarrass me. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And the man that was preordained and blessed and stirred by God to be a deliverer is now being sold out and given away. And Samson's going along with it, by the way. I just want to bring in a pragmatic, practical thing in this for us. You know, it's just too tiring. It's just too hard. It's just too risky to be what God has called me to be. To be a set-apart people, looking different than the world, pointing people to Jesus Christ, 
You know, that, that, that's what pastors are for. That's, that's what others are for. I've tried that, and it was just, it was too uncomfortable. So I'll just give in. Friends, I'm just going to be honest with you about this. I, I think what ends up happening is, I would just say this, look at how hard we at times as Christians work to be accepted by the world. Friends, we live in a war zone. And so often we work some things I just noted down here. We work to talk like the world and think like the world. We work and, and, and to dress like the world and to drink like the world. We work to do career like the world. We work to, to handle money like the world. And we do this whole sex thing like the world does. And, and we do marriage like the world. And we do parenting like the world. And we handle trials like the world does. And, and we do church like the world does. And we see God like the world does. And, and we pick and choose what we want out of this book called God's Word uh, like the world does. And we do so much to look like the world that the world will accept us, the fact of the matter is there's no light. There's no difference. There's no set-apartness. I'm not saying being a freaky, irrelevant person, but sometimes just watch yourself. How hard am I working to be accepted by? And the truth of the matter is, is it's giving in and it's caving in. What the world needs to see is a bright light. Amen. And people who do think differently and, and who stand up for the gospel and, and who hold to it and, and even die for it. Sometimes when we're a curse, it's just easier to give in, and I understand it, it's hard. But in this war zone, we're to be a stand-up people. Uh, when I am my own great I am, I tend to get even. When I am my own great I am, I tend to give in when accursed. Number three, uh, when the great I am is victorious, I tend to glorify me. I tend to glorify me. Why? Well, pff, because I am the great I am. 14 through 18. I, I gave Chris 14 through 19, but I'm changing that yesterday morning. Here we go, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. That's probably a war cry. Not like, dude, missed you. Not that. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson. By the way, as we've talked about here in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean that he was all of a sudden like very godlyized. It just means God empowered him to do something that God wanted done. And I think it's actually very likely here that Samson doesn't even know this. We'll see in just a second. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. Such picturing by the narrator in, in this. And his bonds melted off his hands. And, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Pause. If you're here earlier in this part of with Samson, Samson was a, uh, from the very beginning set apart by a Nazarite vow. If you remember that. And one of the things you're not supposed to do is to touch dead things, to touch carcasses. And by the way, the text tells us it's a new jawbone to even let us know that it's not like an old dried out tree looking thing, but this is a newer, stronger one. And, and Samson, even when the Lord is upon him, has no idea, doesn't even care. He'll just stick his hand in any carcass he can to do whatever he wants. It's just telling more of who he is. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. A thousand men? How do you do that? I have no idea. Maybe it's just symbolic. Hmm. I have a hard time with that. The only reason I would say that is because I would go, you know what? It can't be true. Because God's not big enough. No, excuse me. But he's quite big. And he struck a thousand men, Shamgar, 
Verse 16, and Samson said, riddle me this, riddle me that. A little arrogant cuss. Watch this. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. By the way, the Hebrew rhymes in there. I won't go into it. Did you sense some arrogance? Verse 17. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Ramas Lahai. That's what great I am's do. They name things after them. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord. Okay, here's the picture. Grabs a jawbone. That's my sound effects. A thousand men dead. I don't know how long it took. I don't know over how long of an area here. Sometimes we do. We just think it's the matrix thing, and they just keep dropping from the clouds, and he's just taking them down, but it's probably over some area here, and with this, and how this happens, and there's a thousand men around, and then he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. Man, I'm thirsty. And as soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. And that place is called Ramath Lehi. And I'm very thirsty. (laughs) And Lord, listen to this. You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. (laughs) Pause. Really cool that he acknowledges that this was some kind of divine event. Nobody kills a thousand men with the jawbone. Okay? At some point, I don't know, was it after man five? That he's like, whoa, this is divine. But he acknowledges that. But then in it, this great salvation, that's cool. Obviously, you did this to your servant. Dude, you have not been acting like Yahweh's servant for a long time. You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And I'm like, yes! (laughs) You little bratty punk, yes! (laughs) Right? Are you with me? I'm trying to bring this alive. And yet, how many times when our sovereign Lord does, whether it be small or big victories in our lives, we behave and think somewhat the same? Maybe not this out with it. Be very careful. Nothing good is ever done that can be brought back to the fact of you or I did it. Not one thing, not even our salvation can come back to the time where I made the decision to come to Christ. It is all, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the work and for the glory of God. And we have nothing to brag about. When I glorify me, when we glorify us, going back to Revelation, we are not seeing Jesus. When we tend to glorify us, we are also not understanding the war. And when we go to those times when we have this where we glorify ourselves, we are not being called to be who we are called to be. We're not lifting high the name of Jesus. We're putting our name in the baggage compartment with it. And it's all Jesus. Let's finish with these last two verses, verses 19 and 20. 
And so, I'm sorry, that was the rhyme. Verse 19. And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, Lehi and uh, water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Crazy. Therefore, the name of it was called Enachor. It is at Lehi to this very day. And he, Samson, judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. You can see on the sermon notes page, I just have the question here at the end. Why does this just all feel so wrong? Seriously. I mean, I think for all of us, these last two verses especially, all 14, 15, just kind of give us a bit of a sick feeling. But why? I mean, you look at these last two verses and it's like, he got everything he wanted. Why does this just feel so wrong? Answer number one, because Samson squandered the high calling he was given. We read a text like this, friends, and we look at it and we go, he is so ungrateful and so unfaithful. He's just like a brat before the Lord. I mean, here he is, this pre, preordained by the Lord, blessed by the Lord, stirred by the Lord. He's given these amazing opportunity at a time when God's people needed him most, and he squanders it, and his thing becomes his high calling. For those who are redeemed in Christ, come to know Christ as your Savior, I would just ask that you would listen to me. Samson squandered his high calling. I would ask that you'd listen to these verses from Ephesians chapter 1 of our high blessing and high calling. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy or set apart and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which we have been blessed, us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Friends, that is a high calling preordained, blessed by, stirred by. And we have a high calling. So high that you and I, we struggle day in and day out to remember what has been done for us in Christ. I am Samson. And so are you. It feels so wrong because he squandered his high calling. Lastly, we'll finish with this. It feels so wrong because Samson got what he did not deserve and did not get what he deserved. Let me hit on those. He got what he did not deserve. I mean, he got the revenge that he wanted. He got the water that he prayed for. And he was made judge over Israel for two decades. He deserved none of it. I would have given him and you would have given him none of that. Because he didn't deserve any of it. Also, he did not get what he deserved. He deserved to be taken out to the woodshed by the Lord and judged and crushed. <laughs> Arrogant little stinking snot. according to how we see things. 
But I don't want to finish with this picture of how we would handle it. I want to finish with a different picture. I want us to finish with this picture. Consider the questions raised through the lens of the gospel. Samson squandered his high calling. Yes, he absolutely did. And it is sad. Samson got what he did not deserve. Yes. And it's called grace. For the person that is in Christ, you have received and you are receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I'm just waiting for the time when the Lord just gets so tired of me. And yet, grace. We don't get grace. We talk like we do. I'm just going to be straight up with you. I don't think we get grace. Because we read through a story like this and it makes no sense to us. And, and I understand why. But grace. Also, Samson did not get what he deserved. And it's called mercy. Mercy. Friends, there's so much in chapter 15 we could talk about, and I've already gone way over time. There's something new, huh? But Doug, can you release the tension? Can you kind of release the uncomfort? No. Because I think when we release the tension and the uncomfort, grace and mercy isn't as big of a need. You see, it's when it's left in the tent. Like, I, I, I don't get, I don't get. Uh, so, so are you saying that God was pleased with Samson? No, 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 no. Listen, in all of this, Samson's foolishness, as we'll see next week, never for one moment ever thwarts God's purposes and plans. Never will. And God, if you will, would have desired that it would happen differently, that Samson would be part of the process of God's purposes and plans in it all. But yet, I've got to say, here in chapter 15, you finish the end of it and you just go, our God is beyond our comprehension. And I want us to go home today bothered by grace and mercy of the Lord. In fact, I want to send us home this way. If I could have the worship team come and get ready here. Instead of finishing it with kind of a question to consider some specific life action to do this week, I'm actually just wanting to have us finish with a declaration statement. Declaration statement. I'm wanting us to say it and I'm wanting us then to sing it. So here's what I'm going to ask here in just a second. I'm going to have you stand here. Not yet, but just a second. I'm going to have you stand, and then together I want us to, to say this statement twice, uh, if you can see it through there. I am not the great I am. He is the great I am. I think this would just be a great way right now to start the week to remind ourselves, remind ourselves of this. I am not the great I am. He is the great I am. In fact, we're going to bring some hand motions into it. All right? I am not the great I am. He is the great I am. Okay, I'm coming out of high five a little bit too, all right? I am not the great I am, he is the great I am, all right? So would you stand? We're going to say it twice and then we're going to sing it. Here we go. I, sorry, I am not the great I am. He is the great I am. Again, I am not the great I am. He is the great I am. Let's sing it.